Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. Okay, you guys, uh, welcome to episode 135 of Dunzo. Um, I mentioned to you last week that I wanted to start incorporating some like music album review episodes because I get so lost in talking about people's albums, but then I had to stop talking about them to uh, talk about relationships. And I thought, why not just like expand and like fully lean in and really go for it? So I have somebody here with me today that I am very, very, very excited to talk to, especially during a quarantine. It feels like self-care. Russ Martin, how are you? Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> how are you doing? Um, I'm reasonable. Yeah. Full disclosure to the audience, I begged Troy to record with me because I have not seen a human in 15 days. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. How was your, like, how are you feeling? How is everything going with you? I mean, ups and downs. Mm-hmm. It is devastating loneliness like I've never felt before, but mm-hmm. we are working through it as a society, right? <laughs> fuck dude like it is i am like my body is like can you please go talk to people like go outside get some vitamin d please i will say i'm going outside all of the time because i am lucky to have lots of parks and lots of isolated outdoor areas right near my apartment so i'm walking the dog all of the time but fuck do i miss human interaction i miss the bar i miss queer nightlife i miss my friends holy shit You know, today specifically, I had this, like, true come-to-Jesus moment where I was like, we are never, ever, ever going to take things, I mean, maybe not ever, but for a really long time, we're not going to take the things for granted that we never thought in a million years we would lose. I give us three weeks. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, that first time that I'm able to step foot in a movie theater again, Oh my God. Or like go to a bar and like bump into people and hug a bunch of strangers and whatever. Like I just, I cannot wait to uh, be around humans again. Like human contact. Fuck. Yes. 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 Me too. Um, well today I'm doing something really special with Russ, you guys, because I have this, my strange addiction and I'd like to fill you in on it. And it's sending Russ articles about an album, a little album that could called art pop. It is my fetish and my kink to constantly bombard Russ with my thoughts about this album. And I figured, why not just like fully lean in and do an episode? Also, Russ is like, uh, Russ, is, Russ is to Lady Gaga as I am to Britney, you know? Uh, she's his queen. And I just feel, I feel really swaddled by you and in going into this. That is an excellent parallel to draw. And I am so happy to be your art pop historian for this episode. This was probably the height of my fandom yeah. for, for Gaga. I still love Gaga. I still travel to see her. I'm still very invested I'm on the message boards. I'm fully within the fandom. Mm-hmm. But this album represented a real peak of what she meant for me as a, uh, a person and a young gay queen out there in the community. Oh my God. That's why I'm so excited to talk to you about this. First of all, 
just tell me like kind of generally what this album meant to you like when it came out and like why it's important to you so I have a very close dear friend who I participate in Gaga fandom with. Mm-hmm. And this was the first album that we really were together as friend fans for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had seen the prior tours separately up until Born This Way. And Born This Way was the first time we ever saw the same tour twice. And by the time that it rolled around to Art Pop, we were just living inside of the Gaga universe. Mm -hmm. So it was extremely special as a moment of friendship. Oh, I love that. You know, it's really pure and earnest. (laughs) It is. That's really cute. (laughs) Um, So when were you like excited for the direction of the album? Like when you found out what was happening with it, like were you into it? Were you confused by it? Were you perplexed like the rest of the country? Like, how are you feeling about the direction of the album before it actually came out? So let me take you back to July of 2013. Please do. (laughs) Uh, I remember where I was when Aura leaked. So Aura was the first thing that we heard from this album. And Aura is a really intense sound in comparison to what she had done before it's much more edm forward it's a pretty aggressive beat it's a pretty aggressive song Mm -hmm. and when the demo of that leaked i was sort of nervous as a fan i think the the like the little monsters call themselves the little managers which i think is hilarious hilarious because they're always talking about her career mm-hmm. and she really had pushed for aura to be the lead song and i think probably leaked it herself as a taste for what was to come but it's not a first single and i was a little thrown off by it as the first sound of something to come because we were expecting something huge like bad romance like born this way these big anthemic songs and this was much more experimental and i was a little thrown off guard by it it's eerily similar to when beyonce leaked bow down and it was like really aggressive and really strange for her sound and people were like oh okay is she mad at us you know it kind of gives me those vibes um yeah that was the first time Beyonce rapped is that right yeah like officially and like I don't know if Beyonce had cussed so much consecutively in a song right in your Beyonce and Jay-Z episodes there was a really good description of the context around that song which I didn't know prior to listening to the episode but yeah that that's probably a a similar line to draw in terms of Gaga and her career and like okay so let's just talk about first of all one of the things that I find so interesting about art pop one of the things that I love about it and I think the reason it's weird because it's like I don't know in my heart if I would call it my favorite Lady Gaga album but it's my favorite Lady Gaga album to discuss because it's so polarizing and confusing and amazing but also like upsetting like it's just such an emotional everything surrounding this album is such an emotional roller coaster it's like it's actually shocking to me that she this like individual person made it out of the chaos that had come out of this work of art like it was just when you look back at that time like the only way that you can really describe it is just messy it's just a fucking 
mess but then there's so much like beauty in it as well which is like I guess maybe why I love talking about it so much yeah it was one of the grandest most epic record releases and it was one of the final ones really you know I think really only Taylor Swift does it like that now Mm -hmm. there are very very few artists who do these large-scale traditional albums and this was that on acid and I think it is occupying a new place for me in her discography and I think it is aging differently than her other albums in a good way or a bad way in a very good way okay I think that her albums leading up to that are all crystallized in a really particular sound Mm -hmm. and she sort of defined what the radio sounded like in those years from late 2008 until early 2010 or something like that yeah and it's a very distinct sound and this is a step away from that sound that is now in her discography a moment that fans really 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 love Mm -hmm. but no one else really remembers other than the spectacle of the mess that happened in the media surrounding the but I, I recently went, I think my feelings about it are really colored by a drag show that I went to recently that celebrated the album. And you're starting to see it percolate along edges of like drag and queer culture. that yeah. People are celebrating this album again. Uh, Alaska Thunderfuck 5000 from RuPaul's Drag recently did the album its entirety in a show called Justice for Art Pop in yeah. Brooklyn. Uh, uh, I think it's what that place Alaska does them once a month I think or did them up until this current hell that we're in uh, once a month and did this show and then I went to one in Toronto where a queen does a different album every month and these two queens the ugly one and Tash Riot did every single song from Art Pop in a night wow and it was oh spectacular and they are both younger than us I think they're probably somewhere around 25 ish and it was this crowd at a younger drag bar uh, in Toronto and it's a crowd of these people who were in their late teens when this album came out and it had a huge impact on them and they saw it I think very differently than the people who had been along possibly for the whole ride. Mm -hmm. And there is a level of camp and excess that the fandom really celebrates. And I love to look back on it and I really cherish it as a point in her career, despite the fact that it is the lowest point in her media story. You know, but that's so interesting because it's like, I I do find that really fascinating that now like really hardcore, hardcore Gaga fans look back at that album and are like, no, this was great. Like, we can't allow the media to take this away from us because it was great. And like the art rave was fucking great. And she put so much of her like soul into this album and what she tried to do, I just kind of feel like, and I feel like collectively, this is kind of the, uh, the thought around it is that what she tried to do was so sort of forward thinking that it was almost like, we needed this amount of time to even kind of understand the full concept of what this album represented because it's so nuanced and it's so like I mean I still listen to this album and I, I hear lyrics where I'm like that's clever even though I've sang them a million times 
you know, where I'm like, huh, look at you. Okay, like, that's fine. Um, but we should talk about, like, the beginning stages of this album and, like, the, just, like, the, what was happening in pop music during that time with, like, the girls. It was, like, also the Perez Hilton of it all. Like, there's just so much to talk about. There is so much to bite into. 2013 for pop music, I think we're going to look back on, like, 1999 and teen movies. Wow. Okay, explain, explain what you mean by that. So there's a theory that actually goes beyond teen movies, but in cultural criticism, people talk about the year 1990, 1999 in movies a lot. If you ever want to lose yourself on a Wikipedia page, go and look at the year 1999 and all of the movies that were released that year. And it was kind of a big burst of many different types of movies that were very culturally successful, the very commercially successful. It was a huge year kind of that we've never had again for mm-hmm. film. And 2013, I think, was that last breath of huge albums that were pop cultural sensations prior to the streaming era. I Yeah, I would 100% agree with that because I think at that time it felt like there was this, like, it feels different now. Of course, the girls are still competing. But at that time, 2013, you had like these pop, these female pop stars that were on a pedestal and it was just like watching them claw each other to get to the top. Like it was like a pub, it was a gladiator. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't just the pop girls either. I'm pulling up Yeezus was released that year. Oh yeah. That was the year of random access memories. Uh, That was the year that Vampire Weekend had the modern vampires album Reflector from Arcade Fire. Uh, nothing was the same from Drake. It was a fucking huge album, even outside of pop. It was the year that Lord came out with Pure Heroin. And then it was the year of Beyonce. It was the year of Miley Cyrus doing bangers. It was wow. Katy Perry's last big album. It was Fuck. a massive, massive, massive year. And it included a little album that we both hold dear. Your nighttime, my time. The last time. Oh, oh, don't even bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> Not during the quarantine, Russ. How dare you? <laughs> but yeah, so we should talk about like going into this album. It was kind of doomed from the start. Would you agree? Would you say that this was like an album that really had a lot working against it before it even came out by chance? Yes. This is the end of her imperial phase people did not want to see her succeed people were tired of lady gaga Mm -hmm. it was over there was a clip i don't know if you had seen it one of the promotional videos that she released prior to applause the lady gaga's over video um it sounds really familiar i'll send it to you after this okay it is a a video that's just her in a studio and she's tearing off a mask and the script reads Lady Gaga's over, maybe Lady Gaga's canceled, she's a flop ever since born this way, do not buy applause on iTunes do not listen to pop music something like that so she was aware of the cultural narrative around her but people did not want this album to succeed, they were done with the excess of her career and they were tired of her and wanted her to fail. It reminds me in like Madonna theory of the sex book. It's that time yeah. 
where people are just fucking done with all the shit that this bitch is doing. Yeah, because she had reached this peak of like, and I think I feel like she would agree with this. She had reached this moment of like, what else can I really do to like shock people? And like, it was almost like the thing that people loved about her, they started to resent. Like you said, like her twilight years were over. It was like, well, people were sick of seeing Gaga do shocking things when really that was like all we had known of her up to that point was that she was the pop star that shocked us. But then people were resentful of the shock value of Gaga. And to be fair to the audience, shock only lasts so long. Yeah, you can't keep shocking people if your thing is shock. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's why Miley Cyrus doesn't have a career anymore. Yeah. And I mean, as much as it pains me to say, it's a lot of the reason why, like, you don't see these, like, touchstone. I mean, aside from many, many other factors, but, like, so much of Britney's career for a long time, like, her big milestone performances were a shock. It was, like, her ripping oh. off her clothes, her carrying a snake. It's, like, these things that you're like, wait, what? Whereas, like, how long can you keep that up? It was always shock plus sexuality until she got up to the motherhood stage in her career and we can't be shocked Yeah, motherhood. Yeah, like 10 years is a long time to like shock an audience to the point that they're like writing about you the next day like crazy. Um, but like, with Gaga, it's interesting though because that was what her whole career was based on. She didn't have like, um, especially for people that were like fair weather fr- fans, I would even say now, there are a lot of people like, I've been messaging you that I, one of the things I love, especially right now during quarantine, is like, I love watching reaction videos on YouTube. I love watching people react to albums and music videos and stuff like that. Like, I just get this weird, like, ASMR feeling from it, like goosebumps or something. And it's really interesting to watch, like, fair weather Gaga people react to Gaga content because they only know her as, like, a lady who wore a meat dress. You know what I mean? So it's like the disconnect between her fans. I can't think of another pop star who has such an extreme disconnect between her fans and like the general public of like what they think of who she is. And that really came to a head during Art Pop. Yeah. The fans were really on for this ride. The fans loved this album. Yeah. The fans were there for it. And that made the album, to an extent, extremely successful. But the noise around the album was a polar opposite. Can you just explain, just like kind of on a surface level, what the concept of this album is? I know that like most people know it as an album that mixes pop and art, but that's like, it's obviously a lot more than that. Sure. It's convoluted and silly as most (laughs) things of the first half of Lady Gaga's career was. (laughs) She had been tossing around the name pop art for an album. A lot of the very, very early Lady Gaga performances were about the idea that pop music does not get treated as a real art form. Mm-hmm. And she was a songwriter and a creator and a performance artist who believed in the power of pop music to carry cultural messages. What she wanted to do with this album was instead of the uh, pop being forward for the art to be forward, so instead of pop carrying the art and sneaking it in through its mainstream presentation, she wanted to lead with all of these heavy-handed art 
artistic statements and sort of force people to create the art. She called it a reverse Warholian experience, meaning that it was the opposite of what pop art does, which is why it's art pop instead. And she partnered with four artists leading up to the release of this album and did a collaboration with these people who were from the art world. They were global art stars, commercially successful, and also critically acclaimed artists of note. And that was what set the stage for the album. Now, when you say convoluted, you're not lying because I've heard, (laughs) no, look, I've heard Lady Gaga describe this album many times during that press cycle. And she basically said what you just said. And it took that long. Like a person simply saying, so what's this album about? That was her response. Correct. And she rattled it off the way I just said it many, many times in interviews, which irritated people. People don't want to listen to Ted talk before they listen to an album that's essentially mainstream EDM. Yeah, it's like, especially for a large portion of people who already find you like kind of exhausting right now. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, on top of it, your new album takes 13 minutes to explain and you're throwing out all these art references that I don't understand because I live in Utah in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, it's a confusing thing. Um, You know, I was, I remember... Just before the art rave, I was staying with a friend uh, in New York. I was spending some time with her, and she is an art critic. She writes for Art Forum and a bunch of other places. She's like, I got invited to this Lady Gaga show. It sounds really lame. It was the art rave, like the original one. And I was like, no, like, it's fucking awesome. (laughs) She's like, well, it just seems like her taste in art is very obvious. The list of people... Jeff Koons, Maria Abramovich, they're just like the most obvious references. Yeah. But it's exactly the counterpoint to what you said. They are not the most obvious references yeah. for people who listen to Top 40 Radio or people who live in Ohio. Exactly. Like, are you kidding me? People that think like Andy Warhol is the only artist that's ever existed. Yeah, that's like some pretty fucking high concept shit for a lot of people. But it just was not enticing for anybody outside of the fan base really at all. And to be honest with you, I even would venture to say even people in the fan base were like just trying to be supportive during a time that felt a little confusing. Yeah, I would say so. I was extremely wrapped up in it and (laughs) loved the excess and the silliness. And what I really loved about Gaga in the first place was that she was trying to do conceptual art on what at the time was a limited budget. And yeah. I enjoyed seeing that train get to like Grand Central Station and arrive with cash. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit more about something that I'm confused about? I think I, I would imagine this plays a really big part in why the release of the album was so messy, but like the changing of the release of the album, like the plans and then her fucking, all of the shit with her hip. Yes. Like what? So the genesis of this album, if my memory serves me correctly, was that it was written partially on the road during the Born This Way Ball. And the Born This Way Ball is when she threw at her hip in Montreal at Troy, a concert that I was at. (gasps) You've never fucking told me that. How dare you? Are you kidding? Not. I watched that bitch break her hip. (gasps) Oh my God. That's a fucking milestone moment. 
Yeah, wow. a, a messy one. But she so she she broke her hip in Montreal on stage and had to be put into a wheelchair. She had this crazy blinged out wheelchair that she did pap walks in. Yeah. And then she had to do a lot of physical therapy. And that was the start of the chronic pain that you might know if you've seen five foot two or yeah. read anything in the past three years because she loves to talk about it. Yes. And it delayed the uh, release of the album. Of course, artists make money via the tour and she couldn't tour with the hip the way that it was so she had to regenerate it and that pushed back the release of the album for the first time and then there's some messiness that maybe we will get to she had some extreme changes in her team that happened throughout the rollout of this album Mm, okay yeah I remember reading about that and it being super super messy and I remember that being one of the things um that Perez Hilton was like writing about a lot that like she couldn't keep people in her team and the, like it's true that she's a mess because like her people that have been working with her for a long time don't want to work with her anymore. Correct. Uh, uh, some of those people have returned to work for her, but this was also the end of the period of time when the original House of Gaga, her original makeup artist, her original stylist, uh, like some of them just like frankly went on to the next stages in their careers. Yeah. They used what they had done with her as a like lily pad to leap on to take on new and exciting things. Uh, certainly was the case with Nicola, her original stylist, who is now working with her again. But her stylists have gone on to run major fashion houses. Uh, yeah. Brandon Maxwell, at this, this was the time that she started working with Brandon Maxwell, who now has an extremely successful uh, collection that he uh, runs out of New York and shows at New York Fashion Week and is one of the judges on Project Runway. Uh, so he was her assistant and during Art Pop he stepped in because Nicola had left and Nicola had gone on to be the creative director, I think, of Diesel. So that was okay. when they changed. Uh, I believe her makeup is not something I'm as close with, but Sarah Torino was either the one before or after, but she had a makeup artist around this time who had left as well. And then she had a manager named Troy Carter, Troy Carter, yeah. uh, who ran a company called the Adam factory. And he had really used this story of helping usher in Lady Gaga's monumental success for the next step where he created his own company. He became a venture capitalist. He started to hang out in Silicon Valley and he left her right before the album dropped. And the gossip at the time was that they had very different ideas about what art pop should be. And she wanted to push this high concept, very electronic forward album and he was trying to get her to do all these much more commercial things and then left right before the album dropped and that was all i mean like look there are if we followed the like ins and outs the the daily of a team's like a, a pop star's team the comings and goings of who's like in and out on a fucking weekly basis it would be very similar but this was, like you said earlier, I feel like a time when people were really excited to find reasons to not like her anymore. Like, it was, like, a time when it was, like, exciting to find a reason to cancel Gaga for the general public. And 
we should just talk about her falling out with Perez Hilton now because I'm like, I keep referencing it, but he was reporting all of this stuff to people. And I think sort of forcing the general public to think that this was some crisis happening with her, like that it was a moment of crisis while they're also still trying to like force this album out. Correct. And to an extent, that was kind of true. It was a changing of the guard. I do think that she had problems with substances at that Mm -hmm. time. She had some emotional problems at that time. I don't think that the narrative was truthfully what Perez was reporting, but I do think that if you line the facts up, who left left, that's true. Yeah. So I think he exasperated it, but uh, it's not distrue. It's also so fascinating because it's kind of like the last of his, like, like at that time, it's not like he was by any means what he was, you know, eight years prior. But I would say that like 2013, this, this was his last, like, you know, because Perez used to have really big major news scandals all the time. Like Perez used to have to go on Larry King and, you know, give interviews because Will I Am punched him in his face or whatever, or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, this is the last moment that he could have any sort of relevancy in a yeah. conversation. Like people were, I mean, this had to have been, he probably looks back on this time and wonders like, did I fuck up my entire career by like just showing all of my cards and like trying to take this girl down maliciously in a way that was malicious even for Perez Hilton, which is saying a lot. Yeah, we talked about this earlier this week, but uh, while I have empathy for her, I I also think that it's a bit of karma and she had also sort of made her bed by being friends with him in the first place. Like she became really tight buddy buddies with him when he was doing gross shit to celebrities and writing disgusting stuff about them. And she was doing sort of press tours with him and being silly and having fun with this guy who was drawing cum on people's faces and writing disgusting stuff about women's bodies. Yeah. And Outing when people. that guy turned around and stabbed her in the back, like, I'm sorry, you don't get to be surprised about that because you were friends with somebody who was openly a shitty person. Yeah, it's like, it's interesting because it's like he was so much a part of her come up, right? Like he was like one of the first people to really publicly declare like she is like the next great thing in pop music he was writing about her all the time during he championed her yeah he totally did and there was this this culture of like being one of Perez's off-limits girls like Paris Hilton even though he talked a lot about her I feel like she used to have this weird like you know the site's named after me like at the end of the day like I'm one of his darlings like Perez Hilton had darlings for sure and Lady Gaga was proudly like his ultimate darling and she fucking rolled that shit until the wheels literally fell off like she was like out there being championed by him I will say as also like an effort for me to be measured in my fandom and be correct about what the record shows she was also silent about the fact that he was shitting on Christina Aguilera during her come up yeah and that he was the one who was making the comparisons between the two of them. Yeah. And that he was the one that was saying that she was trying to swag Jack Lady Gaga and that we'd already seen Lady Gaga do in 
and Lady Gaga was doing it in a fresh way that was authentic and Christina was doing it in a way that was boring and copied her. And listen, both Christina and Lady Gaga ended up with an album that they said was not right for the time. Yeah. Now, do we have like a- People were not ready for. Is there like a definitive reason that you can think of as to like, like I have ideas in my mind and I've read things as to why they did fall out and why all this took place. But do we have like a, a, a definitive reason? Is there like a reason out there that's like the thing? So they were friends up until they did this press trip together to Australia. And as the legend goes, he asked her about something that she considered to be off limits Mm -hmm. during this interview that they did together where they dressed up in pajamas and were like silly billies in Mm -hmm. Australia. And I think she was drunk during the interview. I don't remember off the top of my head what it was, but it was either, I think, something to do with her rape or with her alcoholism. Or maybe maybe a boyfriend or something. But she had basically asked him a question that foregrounded their friendship and was something that was like table talk between friends as opposed to discussion between two professionals on a public stage. And she felt that that violated it and he thought he was just doing his job and they never recovered from that. And then he started doing all this insane shit like leaking her address and trying to buy an apartment in her building in New York City. Yeah, and I definitely remember him sort of, even though she was kind of passively open about her issues with substances before in more of a like think piece way, like he was one of the first people to really out her and be like, no, like she is an alcoholic and she's unprofessional and I remember him being really upset by a lot of like what he was seeing behind the scenes as far as like how she was treating people because she was like, it was like you said, a a time in her life where she was like smoking a lot of fucking weed and I would imagine doing a lot of pills and just drinking excessively. Yeah, well, and the era before Art Pop, what I remember us all thinking Art Pop was going to be was she had this sort of period in time, a little mini era within the fandom. I think when she was on tour with the Born This Way Ball, when she was really into Disney princesses and getting stoned. Okay. Do you remember this? I don't think so. And she sort of married those two things together and she was like dressing up as Disney princesses and smoking all of this weed. And we all kind of thought that that was going to be the concept, but she was like out there pretty openly using a lot and to excess. Yeah. Fuck, I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't I didn't know that there was a world where we thought the next album would be like princess themed. I like that though. Have you ever heard the unreleased song Princess Die? Yeah, I have. Oh, is that what that's tied to? Yeah, that's tied to like that whole period. Yes. Oh, okay. See, Russ, this is why you're here. <laughs> Welcome. This is what the truth feels like, girls. Um <laughs> And then, yeah, like you kind of touched on, he, the, the sort of peak of this moment, the, I guess, like the pimple that burst was that he, you know, she had separated herself from him and she had made like a public declaration of like, I don't want this person in my life. He's dangerous. I don't trust him. Like, I want nothing to do with him, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then he had said, you know, that she was an alcoholic or whatever. 
And then he had this very public, he was like vlogging at the time. And I remember at the time I was like, embarrassingly watching Perez Hilton's vlogs because I had a hard time letting go of Perez Hilton's website. You know what I mean? It was like so much a part of who I was, I feel like for a long time. So I was like one of those like last stragglers that would like go to Perez Hilton a lot. Right. Um, I was a Gawker girl. I was never a Perez head, but I feel you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, listen, I never let Gawker die. I still have like a grudge against Hulk Hogan. Oh my God. Oh God. I forgot Sorry about for that. another day. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> fuck. Um, but I remember him kind of like detailing his like moving journey a lot. Like while all this was going on, he was like, you know, I am moving on to bigger and better things. I don't care about this. I'm moving. I have all this money now. And then, like, all of a sudden, he was looking for an apartment in her building, and her fans, I, that, that was, like, a real moment where, like, the little monsters were like, we have to, like, take this into our own hands. Correct. And I do think that that particular instance plays an outsized role in the downfall of Perez Hilton. Me too. I really think that her fan base mobilized and pushed back against something that they thought was an insane overstep yeah. on her personal life. And there were 50 to 100 people waiting outside of her like apartment building. It was well known where she lived. She lived on Central Park. So uh, if you've ever been to Central Park, you know where you can like buy a hot dog or hop on a white horse and carriage. Yeah. Yeah. She lived in front of that. Fuck. So it was an extremely public place, but that doesn't mean that somebody who covers you aggressively in a negative way can move into your building and yeah. that like human to human be okay after you had a large scale friendship breakup. And they dragged his ass across the internet and back. And I think really exposed the grossness and for a long time people were afraid of Perez Hilton and this was the period where he was losing power yeah and this was one of the real like chinks in his armor especially because he had that really disingenuous like ch like change in his content where he was like only nice for like a few months and then I think that was also yeah, a really yeah. sorry go ahead no no go ahead I was gonna say, I think that that was also like a really big downfall moment for him that like he had made this public declaration via Oprah that he was going to be nice because Jennifer Aniston like confronted him in a parking lot. And then what, like a few months later, he was being an even worse person. Yeah. And it was also, frankly, a wider cultural shift away from that era of blogging. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We used to be on an internet that was dominated by Gawker and Perez and Best Week Ever yep. and all of these places that tore people down and made fun of them. And that changed around that time. And we moved into a different place, especially as legacy media brands started really pushing to the web. And then you could get all of these established players with daily content and that sort of took over and people opened up and like just Jared showed up and started being nice to people and yeah that worked out really well and it's also super 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 important to the legacy of this album because 
you know, Perez did still have a, a massive reach at that time, whether we wanted him to or not. Like, he did, especially when it came to music. There was still this, like, this connection that Perez Hilton had to the music industry where if he wanted somebody to do well, he did have a really big role in, like, pushing people onto into, like, the general public. Especially and, with the pop girls. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, primarily the pop girls. I mean, he was, like, always was into, like, indie music, and he promoted bands and stuff, but, like, the girls really, for a while, they were dependent on Prez Hilton, to the point that Britney featured him at her circus tour in the, um, in the, like, backdrop, like, the video production. He was, like, in it. Like, he narrated her tour. Like, Is that true? Yeah. Holy shit, I did not know that. He was, like, a circus ringleader at her circus tour or something. Um, but, uh, you know, he was taking this as an opportunity to specifically, I would say, and I could be wrong about this, tell me if I am, but I feel like specifically with Katy Perry, he was taking this as an opportunity to, I mean, you would have thought that Katy Perry had released the passion, like the new passion of the Christ. Like it was like the second coming of God had come in Katy Perry's, was it Prism? Yes, it was Prism. In her Prism album, because Prez Hilton was pushing this album to outsell Gaga's, like, it was his actual second career, was trying to make sure that Art Pop didn't do well, and trying to make sure that before its release, it had everything working against it made extremely public, so that Katy Perry had this, like, smooth sailing. Correct. And I will again reiterate that that is the old playbook. He basically did the same thing that he did with Christina. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's old school Perez just to pit these two women against each other. And I don't know. I think that it is insane to yeah. really compare Katy Perry and Lady Gaga. It's like, I understand that they came up in a pretty similar time. They are both pop stars. They're both white women. That's pretty much where it ends in terms of the similarities other than time. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like the pedestal that they were on. And that was like, Perez really, I wouldn't say that he created the culture, but he really helped sort of fan the fire in this culture of like pinning these girls against each other. Like what the worst of what you see in stand culture on Twitter it was like everywhere. It was not just on Twitter. It was literally just our media cycle was like obsessively comparing these girls to each other in a really, a really dark way. It was like, oh, who's going to like be the last one standing after we tear them apart, you know? It was very gladiator. Yeah. yeah. One victor emerges from this year's Hunger Games. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about we kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's talk about like the pre-release like singles. Like we talked about Aura a little bit, but like there's also, <laughs> there's Venus. Applause, applause, applause. There's applause and there's Do What You Want, which yeah. we have to talk about. Let's start from the beginning. I guess Aura okay. ended up not being the lead single. And then we got the lead single, Applause. One of the artist collaborations that she had been doing was with a, I believe, husband and wife, but a pair of photographers, Innocent Venue. Mm-hmm. And they did, I think, their first music video. 
their first like non photography yeah. realm into pop music and they created the video for this she also filmed actually i'm not a huge fan of the video that they did for applause i really like the lyric video have you seen the lyric video i don't know if i've ever seen the lyric video i probably have but i don't remember it so she went to mickey's in west hollywood and filmed shangela and courtney act dressed up in the applause makeup and applause outfits Shut the performing up and the whole video is her with this handheld camera running around this gay bar at a drag show performing. It. Like, it's like West Hollywood's most iconic drag bar. And there are all these performances. It was prior, I think, to Courtney Act being on Drag Race. Okay. But it's a really cool uh, lyric video where she's hanging with the girls and wow. running around this club. And they're doing this, like, brand new makeup this brand new uh visuals for the single and it's really cool but i don't know i didn't love the final applause video maybe it just wasn't what i wanted at the time but i don't think it's one of the stronger videos for her i think it's like it's just like it's convoluted It, it it almost perfectly describes the album cycle because it's just it's like all these great ideas one too many that aren't executed fully. Yeah. And applause doesn't sonically really fit on the album very well. No. And it's not even, it's like at the, the very end of the album. Yeah. It feels like a throwaway song that they just decided to make the, the I song. kind of have a pet theory that it was either, A, she had a lot of songs in contention for this album. I don't think that it was very high on the list. Yeah. Or they created something entirely new because Interscope insisted on having something that was radio friendly. Yeah. And they tailor created this to be radio friendly and applause didn't light the world on fire, but I believe it was her longest charting single. Like it just stayed on the charts floating around like 50 to hundred for a very, very, very long time and ended up getting played at sports games and shit like that. Yeah. It does you know, have that quality to it. Yeah, like, it can play at a CVS, no problem. Exactly. And, like, it's not... And it also does explain... The song does passively explain the concept of the album. So I can understand how they were, like... I mean, I guess if we want people to get this whole, like, mixing of art and pop culture thing, like, the the song explains it, or it tries I mean, to. I could fully think of five songs from the album that would make a better lead single. Oh, for sure. What would your what would your choice lead single be before we even like get too deep into this? Sex Dream. Me too. Dreams. <laughs> that was what I, I was like. I just wanted you to say that. Really. No, it absolutely would have been Sex Dreams. It's one of the greatest songs that she's ever created. It's yeah. like unbelievable. No, uh, Sex Dreams would have been a spectacular lead single. She had a lot of visual around the time a lot she's playing with a lot of white she could have just done like a full blank white done the mask done some yeah. cool wigs it could have been a moment uh sex dreams is a smooth wonderful song yeah and we will get to the mess of it but do what you want without r kelly yeah <laughs> oh god uh, i don't know do you want to just do r kelly yeah let's just do it now Ugh. 
um where do you begin i don't even know where to like begin with this because there's like also the terry richardson we have to talk about as well correct uh well why don't you wind us up a little bit with where you're you left off with your R. Kelly episode because uh, from what I remember you had a really spectacular explanation of how you really connected to R. Kelly as a kid and you grew up with R. Kelly's music as I think that's a very common experience and having to move away R. Kelly the music and R. Kelly the man and not being able to do that and it being a complicated thing as a fan. Yeah because so before it's actually really funny the role that Gaga plays in his career with this specific song and what the role he plays in hers now with this song. Because I think before Do What You Want, if anybody's watched the the Surviving R. Kelly special, like they perfectly explained this culture of like, we, as like, basically that the black community refuses to allow the media to take R. Kelly from us. That was like the, that was like the sort of blanket thing. It was like, no, R. Kelly is like, he's played at all of our fucking high school graduations and birthday parties and funerals. And, you know, like every life event uh, as being a black person is somehow tied to R. Kelly, which is fucking so weird. <laughs> like, oh, it's like weird to even think about. Um, But before Art Pop and before he was like featured on the song, like it was very that. It was like the peak almost the height of like, no, like you're not going to take R. Kelly away. Like we are going to forcefully support him no matter what. We don't believe any of this stuff, which is insane. It's crazy when you look back and think like an, uh, an entire, entire community of people just ignored such blatant, like horrific, horrific things about this person who, by the way, has never tried to hide how horrific he is. That's how pompous R. Kelly is. He's not even, he's not somebody who does all of the stuff that he does behind closed doors. He's very open and honest and like blatant about it where he's like, yeah, I, yeah, I want to marry Aaliyah. She's 16. Yes. Whatever we have to do. And there is, that leads us to there being very little to defend Gaga working with him. Yeah. I mean, like, it's so, it's the one thing, I think it's, I'm sure there's more, but I, I think that it's like the one thing that as a, as a, a Gaga fan and, and for people who are fans of her that you can't explain away. Like there's no theory behind it. There's no like, she was in this place and thinking that and it was supposed to mean this, but it meant, that. it's like, no, this was just fucking wrong. So when she finally pulled the song from streaming services and removed it from the album on iTunes in early 2019 after the release of the R. Kelly documentary that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. She said she was in a very dark place at the time. And I do believe that. We have talked about how her whole team left her. We talked about how she had problems with drugs and alcohol. And this was also during this period, during the Howard Stern interview, when she sat down with him, I think prior to the release, but might've been around the release sometime, might've been slightly after, was the first time she publicly talked about being raped. Yeah. And that was something that happened earlier in her career and that she carried for a long time. And if you know stuff about psychology and victims, 
of sexual assault in particular, there are behaviors that you might recognize in empathizing with an abuser or making excuses for an abuser. That is something that I think people will recognize in their own lives. Uh, that is the furthest that I can go as right. an empathizer. Uh, my rational side of my brain is like, what the fuck are you talking about? This was somebody who was out there in the open committing heinous crimes against underage children, sex right. crimes. And the audacity of releasing, in particular, this type of song and the Ugh. lyrical content of this song, when you then pair to the video that never came out that was filmed by Terry Richardson, another noted abuser who worked very closely with Gaga over a period of years. Right. It's just a fucking mess. Also, I do think it's important to say that, and this doesn't make it any better, but it's, a, it's just an important thing that I think needs to be said. She wasn't technically doing anything different than what everybody in the industry had been doing for 20 years. Like, we have this weird yeah. thing oh, now yeah. where, do you know what I mean? Like, working with R. Kelly, um, I can name a few. Yeah. And it's not like we discovered that R. Kelly was bad in 2019. That's where this, like, really confuses me. And I talked about this in, in the bonus episode that I did. That episode, Michael. yeah. Yeah, from, yeah. Uh, from Michael. It's like, are we really going to act like we discovered Michael Jackson may have molested children a year ago? I mean, are you kidding me? Like, it's like the, this crazy, like, this crazy, like, the last thing you watch or the last thing you read is what you believe kind of thing. But also, it's like, mm -hmm. how many years have we been reading that R. Kelly was terrible? Like, he's collaborated with probably every artist that you can think of in some way. He's either written for them or been featured in a song or they've been featured in his or whatever. And, and same thing with Terry Richardson. Like, I literally the other day, I've been looking through all my old books because what else do I have to do? And I was looking through my old Mary-Kate and Ashley coffee table book. And uh, I think it's called Choices or Changes. Um, I love that for you. And I know exactly the one. It's like later in their career. It's like one of their first fashion books. Yeah, like the really big, giant, heavy yeah. one from like Barnes & Noble. It was like a Barnes & Noble exclusive or something for a while. I think a um, black and white cover. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember. And it's like a whole book of people that they just find interesting. And like Christian Louboutin is in it. And just like all these really fascinating people. And Terry Richardson has a chapter in the book because they have loved working with him throughout the years and I was just like wow like it wasn't even that long ago that every single celebrity that you could think of every single one had worked with Terry Richardson yeah and to explain it a little bit I think that if you are somebody who walks into a situation with social capital with power that you are not the type of person that a predator preys on. Right. And so, yeah, exactly. No, I don't think that Terry Richardson was a creep around Miley Cyrus. Right. I think that Terry Richardson was a creep around the girls that Ford sent over. Exactly. So, I think that that can explain it, but yeah. Gaga worked very, very, very closely with Terry. Terry was on the road with her. They did a coffee table book together. There's an entire documentary that Terry Richardson filmed that is just deleted forever from the vault 
that was going to be about the, I think, Born This Way period. Uh, that was supposed to come out around the time of Art Pop and got forever shelved. But she worked incredibly closely with him past the expiration date of the times that we started to hear very detailed, corroborated stories from multiple models who had alleged to have been sexually assaulted with him by him at the extreme end of things and just in general horrible creepy unprofessional behavior at the other end of this spectrum yeah and terry is another one who's um i would say even more actually way more so even than like an r kelly where he is just like i want you to know that this is the kind of man i am i am uncle terry and i'm a fucking creep like Terry Richardson's blogs are still available online. Like his Tumblr is still up and running because I looked at it recently and his pictures are like, they're literally not, they're literally not even, uh, they're not art. Like some of them are literally just him fucking people. Most of them are him just fucking people. Well, and it's this line where I think people, for a time, it was socially acceptable to an extent or in some circles to be a sexual deviant and you could use that as a sort of public facing defense against anybody who claimed that you were sexually inappropriate which is different from being quote-unquote deviant yeah and if you put that out as something that is part of your public persona then it changes the texture of claims that come against you but if you don't have consent i don't care what your deviant behavior is right and it's also like the point that you made earlier of like yeah i mean it should be stated that beyonce when she's being photographed by terry richardson for rolling stone is not like having bananas shoved down her throat and stuff you know what i mean like he yeah it's like the girls that you said the 15 and 16 year old girls from ford who are like new models are the girls that really have like the horror stories when it comes to him. And also, I mean, if you feel like going down this rabbit hole, like it is interesting to look at people who are linked to him, especially men, people like uh, Jared Leto Mm -hmm. and uh, James Franco. A lot of men that are just like, you know, there's a lot of weird shit just bubbling right beneath the surface. We are like, I always say like a cough and a sneeze away from them being exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, but 2012, 2013 was not an era in which we demanded that our celebrities do background checks on the people that they worked with. No, we didn't even do that. We didn't care. Yeah. No, we were letting R. Kelly slide out in the streets. Yeah. I mean, like we were still playing ignition at every fucking barbecue and, you know, every fun outdoor event ever. Like, I mean, I would beg you to find me a wedding that didn't play ignition at some point in the last 20 years like it's crazy i will say the so what had happened was in the uh verbiage of our one true queen wendy williams <laughs> gaga had gone with dj white shadow who's a dj that she has worked with for a long time often opens up her shows is a producer her on a bunch of her music he had done the song with her and she said she wanted it to sort of be given the blessing of r kelly as her taking a step into r&b music to go to this r&b icon and get him to do the track 
Mm-hmm. And as a fan, this song's a fucking bob. Like, Are you kidding? The song slaps. You, you do not me? need R. Kelly on that song. Without, I, I mean, like, my God. I truly think without that, that was the thing that was the most justified derailing of this album cycle. Right. She had no, no defense to it. There was no she was making a piece of rape culture with two, like, noted sexual abusers. That yeah. was justified. For sure. I mean, that's such a good fucking point because the song is so fucking good. It's one of the best, the most easy to listen to Lady Gaga songs, I think, ever because it, it does bleed into like, like you could picture that song being played on like any radio station, really. Absolutely. That song works everywhere. And DJ White Shadow, for like a little bit of extra fan knowledge, is somebody who had done quite experimental music and this was him dipping his toe into a really commercial form of music and mm-hmm. he knocked it the fuck out and made a song that was like smooth buttery great wonderful goodness and the song was just dead on arrival because of the collaborators that were chosen and accepted by the team yeah and it's always been really painful too when you like when you hear especially back then when you would hear Gaga explain the lyrics of the song and explain like what it means to her, like do what you want. Like the public can do what they want with my body, but I'm still an artist. Like you can't, you know, you can have like my sexuality, you can have what I look like, you can have all these things, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter really in reference to what would like what's in my mind. Yeah. But all of that is lost in context when you're in a song with R. Kelly saying, do what you want with my body. It's just, like, lost. Well, and she wrote that song before they brought it to R. Kelly. That song could have been that statement that you're describing. Yeah. And then they went and added this paratextual bullshit from rape culture. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, God. Oh, so crazy. This is why I love this goddamn album. I mean, like, when you listen to this album, I think of all these things. Yeah. You know, you can't not think of it. It's tied to it. So it's got all this weight. While we're on Do What You Want, can we briefly touch on her bizarro feud with Kelly Osbourne? Oh, please. Like, can you explain this to me? Because I don't really remember, to be honest. I do not remember the origin of the feud. But Lady Gaga and Kelly Osbourne had a feud. Kelly Osbourne hated her. Like, hated her. And Gaga went on the X Factor UK or one of the X Factor Europe, whatever uh, Mrs. O was on. And she presented Sharon Osbourne with a cake that was supposed to be like a peace offering to Kelly. And Sharon and Gaga took a picture together. And she, like Kelly was pissed that her mom took a picture, but they eventually like had some sort of a summit between the three of them and got it back on together. Gaga was on this whole weird makeup path with women at the same time. Yeah, Christina yeah. Aguilera, as I've g- gone on at length about now, probably too much, had uh, a lot of issues with her early in the career because of the media setting them up against each other. And then Gaga did what is now the definitive version of Do What You Want yeah. on the X Factor America. And she did the whole performance, and then Christina appears out from behind, I think, a seashell. Yeah. Even like powerhouse sing together, and they're wearing these delicious Abba style 1970s <laughs> yeah. 
gold outfits and they've got their blonde blowout hair. Yeah, their hair is like quaffed to hell and back. Oh, it's delicious. Uh, And you can get that version. So there is a version that is Christina and Gaga. And like, can you imagine if they would have filmed a video together and promoted it together and had like a woman empowerment moment instead of the bullshit that we got? Oh my God. Especially because when they performed it, they gave this like, we are lovers in love narrative. Yeah. Oh, it would have been so good. Christina could have finally got the kiss she deserved. I know. I'm longer than one second. <laughs> and now Justin Timberlake. Yeah. <laughs> to cut off her moment. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, it's sad to think of like the potential of a lot of what, what could have been when it comes to this fucking album. Um, we should also talk about like the weird, like the app. Oh, wait, oh, no, wait, wait, did you finish with Kelly? Kelly Osbourne? Yeah, they made up. Okay, because I remember- they made, they made up on the X Factor. Well, sort of. They sort of made up via Sharon, and then Kelly was still mad. And then I think they did a conference call and like told the tabloids that they were good. Was this around the same time that Kelly Osbourne was saying, like, this is a woman who like preaches like equality and love and like- happiness and all those things and her little monsters are like telling me to commit suicide every day so it's like not right yes okay yes that is exactly right Troy okay I, okay I could not remember you have it yes I do remember that I don't know why for some reason I thought it happened a lot more no. recently oh, her little demon fans were telling Kelly Osbourne to kill herself that right <laughs> yeah um and Gaga didn't say like hey stop telling this woman to kill herself yeah, she never, like, stepped in. Which, like, I mean, that's what always happens, right? Until, like, somebody brings it to the attention of the pop star. They're like, like, Beyonce's never said it to anyone. Which I still ride her ass about. Like, she just let Rachel Ray get death threats for a week. <laughs> a I'm, week? I'm, yeah, probably still. We're in 2020. There's, like, some people salty in quarantine being like, well, I guess I'll fire up the gun and, like, shoot Rachel again. <laughs> no, but Rachel Ray, not even Rachel Roy. <laughs> like mom mama you you're watching rachel ray be told by a bunch of teenagers to kill herself and she doesn't even know what's going on beyonce um, will never dignify a thing no <laughs> uh, but can we talk about like the weird fucking app that she released because i know that you downloaded it i downloaded it you are sure as hell sure that i did <laughs> it was so glitchy and weird and like had such a great idea, but it was so, it was just so representative of this whole album cycle. One of the weird things is that Gaga has always been obsessed with technology. Yeah, yes. And it's never really come to fruition in a way that has been totally successful. She's flirted with technology so many times throughout her career. And it really, I don't know if it's ever worked. Uh, early on in her career she had a video that opened up her show oh my god russ is playing in my head right now yeah so she wore these glasses and the glasses (laughs) flash things uh and one of the things that they said is pop music will never be lowbrow and then it flashed lady gaga (laughs) art (laughs) pop fashion music technology (laughs) uh and me and my friend who uh, I consume all of the Gaga with always joke that the thing that she leaves out is commerce. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
like Lady Gaga is like a severe capitalist. Yeah. And like so many of career decisions are blatantly driven by commerce and she just acts like that's not true. But we always joke like on technology, commerce. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. I can't, and it's like the old, it's visceral because it's Lady Gaga's old, like 2008, 2007 voice. Yes, yes. Her baby so talk. One of, yeah, one of the things she wanted to do was create an app for this album, and she hired the people who made Bjork's app. And Bjork had a really successful app that was artistic and wonderful because she's Bjork. Exactly. And she spent a lot of time getting the app right. And around the same time, Lady Gaga made her own social network, LittleMonsters.com, which was MySpace for her fans, basically. Right. And she was obsessed with conquering technology. And so they hired this team and the app had a virtual reality, artificial intelligence kind of alien character named Pet Guy who introduced you to the experience, but there was nothing to the experience. Right. She had planned a second run of the album. It was not too long after Justin Timberlake had made that double album. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it called? Do you know? Was it, was it 2020? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh my God, 2020 is the year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which was like, it was 2011 or something like that. He had done a double album. And shortly after that, she had kind of been planning this double album, predicting that our pop would be perhaps more well-received than it was. And the plan was for this app to be connecting her fans, but also constantly introducing new music, kind of like how like Kim Petras did with her album, or like Kanye West, Good Music Fridays, or, you know, it was an anticipation of the streaming era where there was going to be an app that was going to deliver you this new music. But the app was so fucking weird and a hot mess and shut down almost immediately and nothing was ever released. She never released one single extra song on it. Yeah, there was never any point of any, like, there was no reason for you to open it ever. Ever. Like, unless you just wanted to try and be supportive. But doesn't she still, like, isn't the, like, aura character from Enigma the same, like, doesn't, hasn't that woman, like, carried throughout her career? Yes. So, so Petka is now been named, I think, Enigma. I have blacked out some of the narrative from Enigma because it's not great. Yeah, I think she is but, too. Yeah, as I'm like, I'm literally wearing my Enigma t-shirt right this moment. <laughs> but she repurposed basically the character from her app into the storyline of her Las Vegas. Which always... Yes. I don't know if I can, like, speak for you in saying this, but it always feels like whenever Lady Gaga acknowledges art pop at this point in her career, it always feels like, I don't know, like, she's, like, throwing us a bone or something. Yeah, I think, you know, she was really hurt by how the public received this album. Yeah. Because leading up to this, she was received so positively. From the moment of her debut up until Born This Way. And then Born This Way when she really spent all the cultural capital that she had created with her previous two albums on this queer anthem and this big statement of intent. I think that anything negative, she sort of chalked up to homophobia. 
Right. And, and with our Papa, it was like, no, people fucking hate you. That was yeah. And it's also really sad because, like, speaking up to the lead of, of the album, it's like, you know, she talks about, well, she used to talk about how, you know, the writing of this album was like this major therapeutic moment for her because she was in such a dark, dark mental place and was so, you know, like just leaning into substances so much. So like this, this album was such an emotional release for her. And it's really sad when you go back and watch interviews of her talking about it because it's like, she doesn't know what's to come. No, honestly, the way that she talked about Joanne is authentically what she put into art pop. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, it's really sad because, like, uh, she... The reception, for for me, I hate the positioning of Joanne the album. I really, really don't like it. I think that she was maudlin and annoying and inauthentic. I think that it's a good album. I really like the music, but I hated the way she talked about it. And it was the first time I really hated the way she talked about it. Yeah, it was in Chicago. You know, so there's a song on our pop called Swine, which is about her rape. And it is an extremely aggressive, very angry song. And it is a song about rape. Like, I don't think we often hear. And I think, you know, anger is a really valid reaction to sexual assault. Yeah. And not one that gets validated by the culture. And I love that. It's not one of my favorite songs in her discography, but I think that it's it's actually extremely personal. You know, all these musicians go talking about how personal an album is. I think that that song is more personal than anything on Joanne where she's talking about her dead relative she never met. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. You remember when I brought up uh, disingenuous Gaga's disingenuous alter personality and I was like afraid for you to hear it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind that at all, but yes, I absolutely love when you were on Dunzo and you are just talking to me and I'll be like walking the dog and listening and all of a sudden Troy's just in my head talking, like specifically Russ Martin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, Russ, don't be mad, but sometimes Gaga acts like a fake bitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I don't, I really don't think she started acting like a fake bitch until after the way that Art Pop was received. I think so too. I really, really genuinely think that. And also, it should be stated, this is something that you and I agree on, and I think that it's, like, I feel like, to me, this is, like, the base level, like, understanding Gaga. Like, Gaga 101, Gaga for dummies. Like, she leans into fantasy. Like, that's the reason that there's so many different kinds of Gaga. Like, there's actress Gaga. There's, like, cigarette flicking uh you know like folk music gaga there's guitar strumming gaga there is art gaga you know there's fashion gaga like and when you watch interviews of her during all of these different sort of like transitions she speaks different Mm -hmm. she's like literally living a different character so disingenuous gaga is oscar gaga like it's oscar era gaga like you know what i mean it's like it's award season Gaga, you know? It almost makes sense that she was disingenuous during that time. Absolutely. 
did I enjoy listening to the 100-person speech 100 oh times? God. No, I absolutely did not. But I really, really deeply understand that place of artifice that she has cultivated coming out of the experience of her being vulnerable and putting it all on and just being shit on by the culture. Absolutely. 1,000%. One, 1, um, so we talked about the feud. Should we talk about Machete Kills? Yeah, absolutely. I went to see Machete deal? Kills in theaters. You did? Did you? I, how did? What did you think? I I actually really like Robert Rodriguez. Uh, I like so. Quentin Tarantino, and I like Robert Rodriguez. They were trying to make a grind house uh, double feature, which I thought was really cool. I like yeah. the movies. I was into the whole project. I love Gaga in it. Uh, she's in it for like a hot fucking second but it was a lot of fun i i loved it did you like it i loved it too i love robert rodriguez i love like yeah i loved grindhouse i love death proof like i was Ugh. into i like death proof better than grindhouse has rose mcgowan had a role as good good since i would say absolutely hell to the gnaw it's sad that i think that experience like in a way broke her that doesn't get talked about enough uh yeah it's like doom doom generation heather's grindhouse first one thousand percent like it's her opus she is so fucking cool and empowering in that movie and i love that whole era of him and quentin like yeah creating these like like fun little b-movie moments and i thought it was fun that machete kills did just have like a million celebrities in it that were in it for like one minute like i thought that was mm -hmm. like fun like Lindsay lohan in that movie is great yeah <laughs> right? no and it, it really it is her debut as an actress yeah it is which is super i mean that's wild because i remember there being like uh you know at this idea of like oh my god lady gaga is gonna be in a movie like can she act it's like girl that's all she does yeah and uh can She'd be, I think that a Robert Rodriguez role was extremely smart. I think that we have seen Lady Gaga, the actress, is like calculated in a Taylor Swift way. Right. She, so smart. There is no difference between the acting she did in her music videos and what she had to do for Robert Rodriguez. She can nail it. And she nailed it, and it's not a problem. It's a small role. It's a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of that movie. She kills it. It's a lot of fun. It's fun to see her. She goes on and does essentially an extended music video for Ryan Murphy with yep. American Horror Story. And then she plays a version of herself in a blockbuster. Killer. Calmer. I would say anyone who questioned whether or not Lady Gaga could act, even if you've never seen her in an actual, like, like anything on film or television, just watch the full Mary the Night video. And the answer is yes. Yeah. I, and also, like, can Lady Gaga act, like, TBH, no, we've never seen her act. But can she act well enough to be a version of her public persona that yeah. molds into a cinematic framework? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Like fucking duh. Of course. Like it's like yeah. Uh, ugh, we should talk about how this album actually like legitimately wasn't a flop. <laughs> we should talk about how it actually was like wildly successful, and uh, how the narrative around how much it sold should change. Yes, so Lady Gaga set herself up for this when she sold her previous album, Born This Way, for 99 cents. Mm -hmm. When Born 
born this way was really she did a partnership deal with Amazon prior to Billboard changing its rules so that you had to pay $4.99 for an album to count for sales. And she sold Born This Way, the entire album for 99 cents, 18 whatever, however many songs for the cost of a single on sale from $129 down to 99 cents. Wow. (laughs) And she sold a million copies of it. So she went from a million copies down to 258,000 copies in its first week in America. It was the number one debut, but it sold less than Katy Perry, and that's why it was a flop. Yeah, because it was being, again, ties back, it was being written about incessantly. The other thing you have to understand is like, it's not like, uh, you know, Paris Hilton at this time wasn't doing like a regular like press cycle of this album of, of reporting. He was releasing articles every, like, it was so manic. It was, like, every, like, six to seven minutes, a brand new Perez Hilton article would be released about how not good this album was. It was literally manic behavior. So that information bled into mainstream media who didn't want to do the work and didn't feel like actually putting in any effort to, like, finding out what was really going on with this album they were all just sort of taking the bait from each other. And then the narrative literally became that this was this flop album that wasn't doing well, that did not sell well, that was an embarrassment. It was the biggest embarrassment of her career. And it's like, in the context of Lady Gaga, was it like not as great as her previous albums had done? Sure. But in the context of a fucking pop artist, are you kidding? No, it was great. It yeah. performed very well. I also had just like scrolled back through the sales. So this is now certified platinum in the US. More than 1 million people have purchased this at full price, not at 99 cents. And there was a Black Friday. This was released, I believe, November 11th of 2013. Uh, The Black Friday, two weeks later, it sold 116 units. For context, with streaming, that's like about what Selena sold with Rare. Wow. So... For a fourth album from a pop star approaching her 30s to have sold in the third week what we now consider to be a like pretty decent week. Like nobody called Rare a flop. It didn't light the world on fire, but nobody called it a flop. Right. Uh and 258k. It was good. Yeah. But 20 2013 was the year. And so this is somebody who was a global fucking superstar, somebody who had elevated themselves to icon status. Right. And then during pop music's biggest year, did okay. Also should be noted, because it has to be noted if you're going to talk about an album from 2013 that Beyonce had released her self-titled. Did self-titled come out? No, self-titled came out after this. Was it? I it was. No, no, no. It was 2013, but uh, Lady Gaga released at the beginning of November, and Beyonce like did a double dare to the best of your endless oh, and released yeah. in December. Yeah, December. Yeah. So it was like the momentum of yeah. whatever momentum this album had then got shit just, on. Yeah, completely yeah. just fucking shit on by. Yeah by Beyonce basically changing the landscape of music. Yeah. Well, and like that year was like 
like the VMAs last good year, that was the Miley year of the VMAs. Wow. God. It's so weird how impactful that whole time feels, but like not impactful enough that people talk about it and, you know. They're gonna. Right? Are we just like, is this the first domino? No, we're starting the 2013 train. <laughs> um, Should so I we- write a book, 2013, the year in pop music? No, I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> yes. And I will take 1%. All yours, baby. <laughs> um, should we talk about some content of the album? Like, should we talk about some songs? Yeah, uh, let me pull up the song list. Me Do you want to go? Like, I I don't find it interesting for a in depth take on every track, but do you want to do just like a quick run of the tracks? Sure. Yeah, or like ones that like stick out to you, ones that you think people should listen to if they've never heard the album. I gave my take on Aura. What's your take on Aura? Um, I, I mean, it's, I never don't, if I'm going to listen to Art Pop, like, that's one of the songs that I'm like, I, ha- I love this fucking song. Cool. Live. Live, love, love. It's also a Zed song. Zed's a very important producer on this album. Yeah. And this was, like, Zed's come up. Um, all right, number two, Justice for Venus. Amazing, show-stopping, never been done before, iconic, like, literally so good so like oh there's no better song to shower to just so everybody knows correct uh there was a music video plan for venus that was never released uh never shot either but like there's a whole concept that was supposed to be the second single then do what you want was released as a promo single and ran away became an official single then was canceled by the time that they had a video in the can for it g-u-y under you <laughs> <laughs> um it's a confusing con- it's a very gaga concept correct it is uh, unnecessarily confusing it's a song it stands for girl under you it's a bottom anthem yes like fucking on top of somebody as a bottom <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it does not need to be that confusing no, it's really over, like overly convoluted. It's a good song, though. I mean, I, I really enjoy it. It's fun to listen to. It's fun. Uh, Guy ended up being the technical final single. The art pop film I'm going to put out there is, I think, the top three music videos in whatever order you want to put them in from Lady Gaga's canon is Telephone, Bad Romance, and the art pop film, the music video. Okay. Okay. I don't. I don't disagree with that at all. I think that it was her final statement for art pop. She spent a fuck ton of her own personal money making yeah. a really, really beautiful music video. And it is gorgeous. That incorporated. It's gorgeous. It's four of the tracks from the album. She didn't tell anyone that she was going to release four tracks from the album as a music video. It's kind of like a mini visual album. Uh, and it's spectacular. Um, it is so good. It tells the story of Art Pop. Yeah, I was going to say that that does a better job of telling the story of the album than she does herself. Yeah. If you have not consumed Art Pop in any way, but you have made it to this point in the episode, just yeah. stop and watch an Art Pop film, the full YouTube sensation. Yeah. It's excellent. It's amazing. Uh, the centerpieces guy. Sex dreams. 
Um, <sighs> we just talked about Check it. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite Gaga songs, just generally. Like, if I had to, if I had a gun to my head and somebody said, like, what what Gaga song do you want to listen to? Like, Sex Dreams would probably come out of my mouth. Yeah, I'm never not in the mood for it. I never don't want to hear it. I never turn away from it. Um, it's like sonically, it's like chill enough that you can listen to it when you don't want to listen to like a you know, the, a lot of the songs on this album are very, like, um, aggressive and, like, uh, they're, like, violently in your face, like, the EDM and, like, the the beat of them, whereas, like, Sex Dreams is, like, chill. But, like, also, like, you could dance to it. Yes. Number five on the album is my personal choice for the worst song in the discography of this artist oh my god russ i thought we were about to i thought you were about to tell me that this is like one of your favorite songs and i was gonna like crash like crack my screen in my hand no oh it's called jewels and drugs it's lady gaga's take on rap it's featuring ti too short and twista can i tell you it's so funny i've never actually i've never allowed like I've, i've every time i've ever uh listen to this album i've never been able to go through the whole thing i know that i've heard the whole thing in full but i haven't in years it's been years since i heard this song in its entirety and it also doesn't exist on my phone like it's deleted it's getting less yeah me too it's getting less offensive to me now uh i remember t-boz from tlc talking about this track she's friends with one of the artists featured on this. So prior to the release, T-Boss was like, she's got this fire song. It's so good. She's got these rappers on it. And I was like, oh my God, T-Boss is co-signing on a Gaga track. I'm very excited. This is like my childhood bringing in with like my favorite artist of my 20s. God, this song is trash. And there is a very good song that existed just prior to the art pop era with Kendrick Lamar called Bish Don't Kill My Vibe should have been her big foray into finally doing a rent a rap. Damn, fuck. That is such a good point. It's so true. Oh, God. This song was so good. The song Bish Don't Kill My Vibe rules. Um, Manicure. Love it. Live. Live, laugh, love. Fun, dancey track. It's it's a rock song, which is, it's the only rock song in this album. It's so great. Yeah, it's got a really unusual, it's, I mean, sonically, all of the songs <clears throat> on this album are, like, very strange, but I would say this is one of the weirdest, but, like, works really well. Do what you want. We talked a lot about uh, the title track, Art Pop. How do you feel? I love the title track. I think it's, like, dreamy and weird and uh it's 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 like i don't know like it's like a song that would play in the background of like melancholia or something like it's just it's a weird spacey dreamy song yes it is uh it has all the sparkle of david bowie well set to the tune of elton john yeah it's very 80s Mm -hmm. it's great uh swine how do you feel about swine now look, Swine is not a song, like, it's, I, I mean, I don't feel like I can speak for everybody, but, like, for me, it's not a song that, like, I can just, like, there's no moment of my day where I'm, like, fuck, I need to listen to Swine. No. Like, it's not a song that's pleasant to listen to. No, it's, it's 
hard. It literally is hard to listen to it. But it's also, it's not a bad song. It's just not meant to be consumed like all the time. No, it's an aggressive song. It's something that was very fun at the yeah. shows. Yes. It was a really fun song live. Yeah. Uh, one of my personal favorites, track number 10, it's Donatello. Yes, I love Donatello. It's so good. You can't be gay and not like Donatello. I'm skinny. I'm blonde. I'm rich. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a bitch. It's so like campy. And I love Camp Gaga. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had prior to the release of this song gotten really in bed with Donatello Versace and her family, mm-hmm. uh, including her daughter. Is her daughter's name Allegra? Is that right? I think so. Uh, and the three of them, after a fashion show, I think, went out onto the balcony of one of Donatello's homes and threw white roses at the press. <laughs> oh my God. Is this around the time that people thought she would like play her? No, well prior to that. Okay, okay. Uh, but I, Donatella is excellent. Uh, fashion is not even Gaga's first song called Fashion. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, by the way, like one of my favorite Gaga songs, like Loki. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, it's like, yeah. There's also Fashion of, her lo- of His Love. Oh, yeah. Fashion of His Love. Uh, yeah, and I think also an early song was just called Fashion. That's really funny. Well, this yeah. one has an exclamation point. Correct. So it's different. It's different. Um, <laughs> yeah, I listen you to You love it. fashion. Okay. Yeah. What do you think about it? Smooth sailing. <laughs> really nice, excellent album track. I love it. Yeah. It's like, it makes me do weird things. I think that I have a weird connection to it because it's one of the first songs. You know, sometimes you have a connection to the song that like got you. Like when you listen to a full album and there's one song that you keep replaying. Yes. Uh, on Born This Way, for me, it's The Queen. Yeah, and, like, you always remember in your soul that, like, that was the song that, like, introduced, not introduced you, but, like, opened you up to exploring the album as a whole even more. Yeah. Um, that's what fashion was for me. I, it's just, like, so, like, Bowie and, like, 80s. And I love that she performed it with RuPaul. Like, I don't know. I just love it. It makes me want to do weird shit with scarves spectacular uh number 12 is the song everything you just described the way that i feel about this track mary jane holland really yes so there is a number of songs i think could have been singles on art pop mary jane holland to me is the perfect album track oh yeah 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 totally it has no business with the general public it has no business with the non-fan uh, but I have seen Mary Jane Holland performed exactly twice. I expect to never see it performed live again. And I yeah. cherish those live performances as a fan. Yeah. Of just like seeing an album played in full. So good. I love that song. It is a, just like a silly smoking weed song. And I enjoy it. As, you know what? I guess if you come at it from that way, that it is just, it literally is a silly song about like smoking weed and how much you like, she loves weed. Like, it's fun. Yeah, well, and to get, like, slightly, like, smoking weed philosophical about it. Yeah. It's a song about how once she got famous, the only thing she could do to not feel famous was to get high. Maybe I'll, like, revisit. Because I've honestly, I haven't listened to it in so long. It is an, it's a song that I don't, 
I don't listen to a lot. Like I skip it, which is sad. Uh, no, the song to me is about her getting so stoned that she doesn't feel like Lady Gaga and she can go out for night and enjoy herself with her friends feeling like somebody else because she is so high that she has removed herself from the fame. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck, yeah. Now I have to revisit that song and like give it its 2020 deservance. Number 13 is a track that when introduced, something we didn't talk about is this album is the strangest rollout. She performed the entire album live at the iTunes Music Festival in London at a club called The Roundhouse before the album was released in August. And the album was released in November, a full like three or four months before the album was released. She played every single song. So most of us heard this album for the first time live. And when she played this song live, it was a song called I Want to Be With You, which was about how much I guess she loved her fans. And then she turned it into a song called Dope, which was kind of about her addiction to marijuana. Right. Yeah. Um, a low point for me personally. Not, not my favorite. Not great. Uh, which is sad because it's like lyrically, like when you watch her perform the song, like it obviously means a lot to her. Yes. The performance of it, I think, were really good. Yeah, it's maybe some of her best. Like, it's so, it's, it's like vulnerable, raw, like, heels touching the piano gaga. You know, it's great. Yes. Do but, I want to listen to it a ton of times? No. Not anymore. No. Uh, how do you feel about Gypsy? Okay, so something that you should know about me is that I, 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 had, I tend to love, like, end-of-album tracks. Like, mm-hmm. for some reason... I always end up loving the songs that people like discard towards the end of the album. And Gypsy is just like an explosion of happiness for me. Like I really, honestly, I could cry talking about it. Cause it like, I love it so much. And it was like, weirdly, this is going to sound so weird, but it's weirdly like one of the songs I was the most excited to see live during this. Really? Tour. Yeah. And like, I was like talking about it constantly. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for her to sing Gypsy, blah, blah, blah. And then it's really funny because when when we were like standing there and like the show was coming to an end and I was like, fuck, like I just realized she hasn't sang Gypsy yet. And like when she does, like I'm going to lose it. I'm just warning you. And then I heard like the first ding of the piano and I fucking lost it. I love, I have a really intense emotional connection, connection to the song. I know it's like very weird. Cool. No, no, no. I love that. I absolutely really love that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about it? It's not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, baby, I love that for you, sweetie. No, I, I do really love that for you. Yeah. Uh, my like best Gaga pal really loves this song as well. Yeah. It's an ode to the touring life. Mm-hmm. It speaks to some people. It doesn't super duper speak to me i get that though it's a it's not a song for everybody for sure and i have like some strong feelings about gaga ballads Mm. and this is the ballad of the album other than like sort of art pop yeah but i don't think that it holds water against speechless or marry the night or you and i I I song. agree with that. It's like um, it's almost like a power ballad. Like it's like yes, um, yeah, power ballad almost. 
Yeah, uh, it has like a bit of a Diane Warren in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, then applause. applause, and then we're done. But y'all know how we feel about applause. Yeah, I mean, I will say though, not to like circle back, but one of the points that I wanted to make specifically about the song Art Pop is that I do think in this weird way, um, there's this, this actually this podcast that you guys should listen to. I think it's called Song Exploder, I want to say. Um, they have some really fucking amazing Gaga episodes where it's these two guys that like, they pick apart songs. I mean, literally that's the concept of the, of the podcast. They take songs and like pick them apart and like explain what they could mean, the origin of the instruments, like all of this stuff, they break down everything. And like, it makes you feel like you've never heard the song before. And um, they talked about this album and they talked about applause and art pop as a song. And that, you know, art pop, like the mantra of that song of her saying like, my art pop could mean anything is kind of like defining of her career. Yes. You know, it's important. Like it's, I think it's a way more important song to her legacy than like a lot of people maybe give credit for. Okay. So as a perhaps way to close out the episode, mm-hmm. this was the most spectacularly botched major release, maybe of the 2010s for a pop star. Yeah. Give me your order of single rollout, how you would fix this era. Oh, like what I would release as singles? Yeah. From start to finish. Wow. Okay. Um, I would probably, my first single, if I had to choose from this album, honestly, I think would have been Sex Dream. Great. I think it would have been an amazing opening. It's like a song that I think is commercial enough that everybody would be comfortable being like, I'm open to hearing this album. Like, if this is what she's doing, I'm open to hearing the rest of it because this is so good. I think art pop is like way more polarizing than a first single should be. And it really detoured people and made people feel like they wouldn't understand or connect to any of it because they're not like smart enough to understand the references. So I would have opened it with Sex Dream. Um, That's so hard. I would have definitely released Donatella as like... I mean, can you imagine Donatella as, like, a club anthem? <laughs> I think it would have been a really cool promo single. Yeah, like, it would have been, I think like, it's, it's too campy and too gay and too silly for that's true. Top 40, but I've, it, I stand. Yeah, like, it would have been really fun to just watch her, like, perform that song, like, on, like, talk shows instead of, like, just at her show or, like, award shows. Um, oof. That's so hard. Because it's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I don't know if I would, ch- like, would I have released Guy as a single? Maybe. It's not on my list. I don't know. Tell me your list. Let me, like, mold over this for a second. The first release is Sex Dreams. Okay. She comes out really strong with a fun, provocative music video. She mm-hmm. has Sex Dreams. She waits on a minute. Do What You Want featuring Christina Aguilera. Smooth, crisp R&B. Wow, Great okay. feature. It's wonderful. It carries into the release of the album. Just before the album, she goes with Venus. Right after the album is released, say three weeks after, 
She does a title track, Art Pop, does some fun late night at the piano versions of Art Pop, and then closes it out with Gypsy. You know what? Brava, honestly. A true brava. I'm literally shaking my fists above both shoulders or whatever. <laughs> like, that's amazing. It's perfect. I think Guy is better as an album track. I don't think that the general public would have accepted Aura. I think that Donatella is too campy. I think Swine's too aggressive. I think that Fashion is too camp. I think Mary Jane Holland is just an album track. Dope is not a good enough ballad to connect with an adult contemporary audience. And I don't think Applause even belongs on this album. Wow, really? I really don't. I don't think that it's sonically connected to the rest of this album. I don't think it's conceptually connected to the rest of this album. I think that it is just a toss-out single, the way that Taylor Swift tosses out a song for children before she releases an album. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you're right. I guess I could totally see that. I mean, it definitely is like one of those, I think that applause is almost like her, not to the same extent, but it's almost like her like American life, where it's like, the al- the song doesn't represent this album at all, really. And yes. it's like it it detours people. It's it's polarizing even for her fans. Like it literally probably it isn't the worst song that she could have released from the album as a single, but it's up there. But American Life is a statement on America and America written from a distance when she's living in Europe, and uh, it's provocative and. But the rap. And it has something. It's just like an idea about clapping for Tinkerbell to keep her light on. <laughs> ah, it's true. It's true. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But the rap. The American life, the polarizing part of it is the rap. If that song didn't have a rap feature, it literally would have probably been one of Madonna's most successful albums. No. You don't think so? You think that if, if American life... You don't think that that rap is polarizing where she drinks or she raps about like her lattes? That's awful, obviously. But I think that there are parts to that song that are excellent. And I don't think that America likes anti-American songs. Very true. And it was a different time. It was a different time. And it was a closer time to the Dixie Chicks being like banished from the earth do you want to come back and talk about american and, life yeah of course okay uh but yeah no i american life is good uh and the song american life to me means something in a way that applause is quite hollow that's very true and american life has had like a resurgence like especially like recently that like, it's like oh this was actually like not bad at all um, by the way, I was wrong earlier. The podcast that I was talking about is called Switched on Pop. Oh, I listen to Switched on Pop, yes. Yeah, it's great. Did you you listen to their Gaga episode from like maybe a couple years ago? I did, yes. And I've listened to it recently as well. Yeah. It's actually Switched about, on Pop is really like deep into the sonics of a song. Yeah, if you're into that, like instrumentals and like the the origins of where this like sound comes from it's basically Um, the exact opposite of what we just did (laughs) yeah exactly but it's so good and there the episode is actually about perfect illusion and how that song kind of represents 
Gaga like as a whole that like her entire career is like this perfect illusion of like you not knowing who she is as an artist not being able to place her and all of it is her in a sense acting yes uh, um, that that's episode is very generous to the song perfect illusion yeah it is it really really is yeah um it's a bit of a stretch but it's a really interesting listen and i concur i think that people if they are at all a fan of gaga or a fan of pop music and especially a pop music construction that mm-hmm. that episode and that podcast is really cool to listen to where was thanks so much for doing this with me i mean this is like the perfect I, I like couldn't have opened this uh this like re- like I don't know avenue up with anybody but you, and you're amazing and I love you so much. I'm incredibly excited to listen to future episodes that are about great pop albums and what gave birth to them, what was happening to the artists at the time. I think this is really cool. I'm excited. I didn't say congratulations on Dunzo. This is a podcast called Dunzo. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. This is my first time on Dunzo. <laughs> and you're such a major, major, major part of this podcast. So like, thank you. Oh, I cherish it. Well, Russ, do you have any closing statements, anything that you want to leave with before we close this like art pop chapter forever? In the great words of Alaska Thunderfuck 5000, justice for art pop. Justice for fucking art pop, you guys. If you have not listened to this album before, if you haven't listened to it in a while, you are quarantined right now and you have no excuse. Listen to art pop. Let's get it charting, gals. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get rid of the old glitter treatment. Mariah, if Mariah can get glitter on the charts again, then we can get art pop up there. Listen, like if we make it to the year 2030, we are going to be charting Chromatica after <laughs> COVID-19 ruined it the way that 9-11 ruined glitter. Oh no! I hate that! Oh my god, you're so right. I didn't even think about that. Sorry. Oh, well on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, tell people where they can find you on the uh, on the internet. Well, I'm just gonna need you to log into Spotify and stream Stupid Love. <laughs> yes, that's Russ's <laughs> I am at Restlessness on Instagram. I'm at Restlessness on Twitter. You can tag me in the comments of Dunzo the podcast on on Instagram. Make sure that you head on over to iTunes and give an excellent review to the newly named Dunzo. It really helps your boy Troy out. (laughs) Thank you, Russ. I love to promote you anytime that I am on your podcast. I know. I love it. It's my favorite. You're like my mom. You don't promote yourself enough. I know, I don't. I really, because I don't take myself seriously. I, you need to. It's an excellent podcast and you're really good at it. Well, thank you. And thank you guys for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, bye. Swine! <laughs> bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew.